With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. As entrepreneurs, it's easy to be busy. We can always find things in our day, and oddly enough, those things have a way of finding us. But how do we be more productive with that time? How do you take your eight hours and condense it to four without losing productivity? It's one of the harder things for people to master because it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day. We're gonna talk today a lot about productivity hacks and paths that you can take lessons that have been learned along the way. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I appreciate you listening today. As always, we are brought to you by C-Suite Radio and Network Together. Network Together is a live and online networking organization with events every day of the week. You can go to ntevents.net to learn more about them and hopefully meet a number of people that can benefit you and your business. Today, my guest has built businesses, he's had success, he's had employees all over the world, and is putting everything he has into his book, Win Fast, and talking about it with, with us, and I really appreciate him being here. Simon Reynolds, thanks for joining. Uh, fantastic to be here, Adam. I really appreciate everything that, that you're about to tell us, because I've, I've read a lot about you, and I, I want to make sure that, that we hit as many things as we can but I always want to know, where did you start? Like, some people are born entrepreneurs. Some people find their way through other types of businesses, education, or the timing's just right. Where did it start for you? Well, I, I guess it started at school, and I hated school. I was really bad at it. I, I tried to leave school early, and my, my mum wouldn't let me. And really, I wanted to uh, find a career that would allow me to make a lot of money without going to university. And so that I, I summed it up as my finalists were real estate stockbroking or advertising. And in the end, I chose advertising. So um, pretty much uh, straight after school, I started work as a copywriter. And uh, it, it really, uh, it, it, it went from there. And did you know that it was going to be a business more than a hustle, right? Those are two different things. You can hustle and make a lot of money, but it doesn't necessarily always turn into a business. Where was that turning point for you? Yeah. Well, look, to be honest, when I originally started in advertising, I was all about, you know, writing amazing ads. And I became a creative director of an advertising agency uh, very young at age 21, which uh, made the the news headlines where where I was from in, in in Australia and you know I got got all these television interviews and stuff so it was all very glamorous until an hour a year and a half later I was sacked and so there I was 23 uh, sacked from this uh, big job and not knowing what to do and even worse I found I was getting no job offers 
uh, because uh, even though I, I never really found out why I was let go, uh, everybody assumed, well, he must have been pretty bad at his job to have been let go. So uh, I was 23. I had no job offers. I'd just been sacked. And I thought, well, look, the only way to stay in advertising at the same level I was at is to open an ad agency. And so I did that with two partners, uh, uh, you know, with knowing nothing about how to start a business, but really just having to salvage my, uh, my bad situation. Interesting. Where did the partners come from? Because a lot of business owners like to have support and find people, but how did you find the right people? Yeah, that's a great question. One of them I, I had worked with a lot. Uh, I'd employed him at, at, at that agency I got fired from. And then the other, I barely knew. Uh, he was, he had a good reputation in the industry. He wanted to open an ad agency. And so I really took the risk. Now I would never advocate that people do that, get into a partnership with someone they, they don't know. But you know, I was, I, I was lucky. It, it, it worked out. Very nice. So with the, the beginning of that, did you have the luxury of past clients that you could go to and say, Hey, here I am, I'm starting this new thing. Come with me. Or were you, was it totally cold when you started? Yeah, not only was it totally cold, uh, but we opened uh, one week before the 1987 stock market crash. So uh, it, it was just a disastrous time to open an agency. And Adam, you know, I experienced what I bet you've seen a lot as, as a top business coach in that I realized I knew a lot about writing ads but I knew nothing about growing a business, but we were, uh, we were going to go under very, very quickly uh, unless we got clients. So I had to desperately learn how to bring leads in, learn how to uh, entice clients to go with a, a totally new and un, unproven agency, learn the whole systems of, of growing a company. It was completely foreign to me and, and a super stressful time. I bet. And, it's interesting because I found this with, with folks in marketing, my, myself included, because I've got a market for myself, but I also as part of strategic planning for my clients, marketing is a big part of it. A lot of times it's really easy to get other people, to create ads for other people, to get other people leads, to get other people exposure. But when we turn our eyes inward to ourselves, it can often be a bit of a struggle because we don't know what we can't see or, or we're blinded. How was that for you being telling people, hey, I can bring in leads for you, but now you've got to go do it for yourself. And, and it was a struggle. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, you spot on. It was very, very difficult to define why should someone come to us and separate ourselves from all the other advertising agencies because there, there were hundreds of them. And, and some of them, plenty of them, were really good. And so it was... It was uh, uh, Really, you just had to to do two things. First of all, define any kind of niche, you know, any kind of angle. And for us, it was creativity, that we're going to be more creative than other agencies. And then the rest of it was really attitudinal differences. So when they got in, and I don't think people play around enough when they're, when they're marketing themselves with this whole area, is, you know, particularly in competitive areas, you can define yourself in a particular niche. You can define yourself with some radical strategy, but often that's very difficult. But one way you can really separate yourself is to build a lot of your brand around your attitude. 
about your your keenness, about your hunger, about your uh, your your desire for excellence. And there's no matter what field you're in, there are always clients who are very attracted to that. They want to go with the hungry upstart, the challenger, and that's more the positioning we took, an emotional positioning about our personalities. I love that. And, and you went on to build the 15th largest marketing services firm in the world, 54 con- companies, 14 countries, 6,000 people. But it all started with you and your two partners. How did you translate your personal drive, your personal hunger? And a lot of people may have hired you guys based on that. But how did you turn that into a business brand? So personal brand to business brand as you were building the company and branching out to different parts of the world. Yeah. So what uh, I opened numerous advertising agencies. So that was my first and I opened another three. And it wasn't until 2000 that I opened up the one that became the, the 15th biggest marketing services group in, in the world. And that was a totally different scenario because I raised $5 million to start that company. And I had never done that. I'd never raised money. And I was completely out of my depth uh, trying to deal with, you know, financial, uh, uh, you know, venture capitalists, you know, wealthy, uh, super wealthy um, uh, business people. So I had to learn that entire skill, number one. And then number two, uh, uh, I had to learn the, the skill of buying other companies. And, you know, I don't think even small entrepreneurs, uh, uh, small business entrepreneurs uh, do that enough. There are so many opportunities to buy smaller companies that already have clients, that have already have a good reputation, but for whatever reason, the owner wants to get out or they want to retire or uh, they're just bored. And so that last company, a lot of the growth was from acquisition. And so I had to, first of all, learn finance. Then I had to, uh, money raising. Then I had to learn how to acquire companies. And then finally, because I had my own company in that group as well, I had to continue to learn how to, how to get clients in. So it was a massive business education. And in order you, you know, to, to answer your question more directly, Adam, uh, I just studied a lot of books. And you know, the, the reality is that still today with all these online courses, and I, you know, I've certainly uh, created you know, my fair share of online courses and all of fantastic YouTube videos, it is pretty hard to beat a, a terrific book on a particular subject in business. And so, uh, you know, it was really just a case of endlessly study and then endlessly applying things that I had learned from books. And, it, it, you know, the amount I discovered myself was, was pretty small versus what I learned from others. Interesting. And we, Simon's got a book coming out called Win Fast, come out here shortly on August 25th. We'll dig into the book and, and your learnings there. If I had another a question back on the capital raise and then the buying other businesses, what was the turning point for you that said, rather than building this thing, being on the client acquisition side and growing organically, that you needed to raise money to do something different, do something bigger? What was that turning point for you as to the why of going that direction? Yeah, well, a lot of it at the time was, we were in the, in the, in the first dot-com boom in, in 2000. And dot-com companies were getting tremendous and arguably ridiculous valuations. And so 
it was very, uh, everybody wanted to invest in dot-com companies. So what I was thinking is, well, I know advertising. How can I kind of do a, a advertising dot-com play? And that's what I did is I packaged together an idea that what we could do is we could open an advertising agency that launched dot-com companies. Because back then, you know, you probably remember, you know, there were all these companies like pets.com and, and, and uh, uh, the like who were spending a fortune on advertising. And I thought, wow, you know, I bet you could grow an agency really fast with these internet companies as clients. Now, that was a theory and that's what raised the money to do that. But of course, in 2001, uh, the dot-com boom became the dot-bomb collapse. And all of a sudden, we were a year into the business. There were no dot-com companies <laughs> that wanted to raise any money. There was, uh, there was a complete annihilation of, of the sector. And so we had to pivot. And we had to basically just say, okay, we're a standard advertising uh, agency. And, and we went from there. And, you know, people look at where we, we came to, and eventually the company was worth over $500 million, um, on the stock exchange. And people go, well, you know, it, it was a... a fantastic run and what a genius you were but the truth was uh, that was not the model we intended and we had we had to shift and we had to shift shift fast and i think that's frequently the case in business oh i would agree and i, I think that that's particularly important right now in uh, no matter when you're listening to this whether we're in the middle of uh, corona quarantine or whether this is years down the road and you remember it businesses have to make pivots and have to think differently and, and I think there will be great opportunity for people to buy other businesses like you did. And hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that. But as you were thinking about the pivot, I guess, was, was there an obvious pivot for you? Or did you sit down with a team and say, all right, here are the different options. Which one's the best? How did that first pivot happen post.com boom bust to the next generation, next iteration of the firm? Yeah. We, well, what we had to do is, the, um, we had two kinds of business inside the business. The first is we had to switch from being a dot-com uh, marketing company to just being a marketing agency. And uh, that was number one. So we had to get really good at getting clients in an environment where uh, uh, most people, most clients did not want to spend any money on, on marketing. So that was first. And then secondly, we still had the money that we'd raised. So we went to buy other companies that we thought were good. So, you know, as the saying goes, it's an ill wind that, that blows no good. On, on one side, we had uh, a lot of difficulty getting clients um, for, our, for the original agency. And then on the other, we had a lot of companies that were willing to sell because uh, times were hard. So we built our own agency slowly. And then at the same time, we, we bought two or three other companies and at that point, we raised money again. So that company was a mixture of uh, organic growth in our, in our core company and then acquisitions because the times were tough. Makes perfect sense. And as you're growing your, your business and you're looking at other companies and you're reading and learning and, and trying to keep up with, with the changing environment, Obviously, running a business is it can be a full-time job in and of itself, but you were able to do these multiple things and expand your personal capacity. And obviously, one of the ways you did that was through productivity. 
where did you start to see productivity opportunities and productivity hacks that you could do in your own life that have now you're training other people on and putting into a book? Hmm. Yeah, well, um, I got interested in productivity because I was super disorganized as a person. You know, I, I was a classic creative person in, in inverted commas where, uh, you know, I, I could come up with ideas, but I, you know, couldn't even keep my desk neat. And I, what I realized over time is that when I looked at things that had gone wrong in, in my business life and arguably even, even aspects of my personal life, about 70% of the time, it was due to disorganization. Like I didn't spend enough time thinking about something or I didn't uh, uh, fully, uh, you know, deliver you know, an excellent product because I was rushed for time or all these kinds, kinds of versions of disorganization or lack of clarity. And I looked at that in my life and I thought, well, you know, I've, I've really got to address this. It doesn't come naturally to me. I've got to study productivity. And, and so I did. And since then, you know, as the, as the years have rolled on, I, I've, I've devoted more and more time to it. And I, there certainly wouldn't be a week uh, in my life where I wouldn't study productivity because what I realized was this, that there's several ways you can get ahead in life. There's experience, there's talent, there's hard work, but then there's doing the right things and doing them most efficiently. And that is the area that almost no one spends any time on. The average person goes through their entire life knowing nothing about the science of productivity. And it's insane because you could get two people with the same experience who do this, have the same company, let's say the same, they're in the same industry and they have the same intelligence. But if one is an expert at productivity and the other isn't, in 10 years time, there will be no, the, the gulf between them will be just astronomical. And in fact, you can, uh, as Brian Tracy says, an average person will run rings around a genius if the average person is super clear about what they have to do and the genius isn't. And so it's, it's a way to get ahead of everybody else. It's a way to reduce stress. It's a way to achieve much more, but it's a way that very few people ever study. It's fascinating. We're talking with Simon Reynolds on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. And you can reach him at Simon with two eyes, simonreynolds.com, and pretty much Simon Reynolds on all the different social media platforms. Simon, when, when we talk about productivity, the first thing people think of tends to be the to-do list. Make my list, go step-by-step step through it, and it's important, but how do you do it right? Because many people make their to-do list and at the end of the day, they just move stuff from today to tomorrow, tomorrow to the next day, and things stay on their list. How do you think about the to-do list as part of being more productive? Yeah, you're so right. And, and you know, the unsaid about to-do lists is they create tremendous amounts of guilt because at the end of the day, of course, the average person has only done a small amount of things on their to-do list and they feel really bad about themselves. And so it's really kind of um, uh, destructive mentally to, uh, to run a to-do list if you, if you do it wrong. So what I would advocate and what's worked for me is to have three to-do lists. And the first one is a macro to-do list. And that is you just put everything that you've got to do 
half the half the page is your business life the other half can be your personal life so anytime you have anything you you need to do it goes on your macro list so at least you've got a full and complete record of what are the tasks that you need to do now when you do that you'll find um a distressing thing and a great thing the distressing thing is you'll see just what a huge amount of things are that are actually on on your plate in both your business and personal life but at least you've got it down and then the the positive thing is for potentially the first time in your life on one piece of paper you've got a clear record of all the things and you, that you've got to do, and you've got them out of your head. Because one of the main sources of stress is a certain grayness, a certain, a certain lack of clarity that we have, knowing, oh, I've got a lot of stuff to do, but am, am I forgetting something here? Am I missing a deadline here? So you, first of all, get it all down on a macro list. Then second of all, your to-do list for the day should be very short. It should be just the three most important things that you've got to do, and then some additional ones if you've got time. Because what I realized, and it took me many, many years, Adam, to understand this, is that the most productive people do not necessarily, and this is critical, do not necessarily get more things done than the average person. What they do is get the right things done. And if you just focus on what are the three things I could do today that would make, a, make the biggest difference to growing my business and do those first as soon as you can in the day, then you're going to find that you are far more productive than people who are super busy. And then the third thing I believe, which virtually no one has, the third to-do list that you need is a follow-up list. Because what I found is I was dropping the ball all the time because I would say to a supplier, let's say, um, can you get this to me by Wednesday? And they'd say yes. Or I'd say to an employee, can you have this done by Friday next week? And they'd say yes. And I'd take it off my to-do list because I thought it would be done. And what I realized is you have to have a follow-up list and all, so that you're always keeping an eye on everything everybody else has said that they do um, uh, for you. You know, uh, a friend of mine is head of um, uh, private banking for a uh, all of Asia for JP Morgan. And he said that the, uh, the, the CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, a uh, giant organization, obviously one of the highest paid business people in the world, inside his suit uh, uh, pocket, he has a little card. And on one side of the card, it is it has what I owe others. And then the other side is what others owe me. And he runs the entire multi, multi-billion organization from that card. And let's look at one side of that card. It's what do other people owe me? So what to, what to, what, are, it, that's a version of a follow-up list. And it's very, very, very important when you're running a business and you're, you're constantly uh, interacting with other people to have such a list. So you get those three lists, the macro to-do list, your short daily to-do list with your, with your top three, and you follow up and just keep them up to date and you will outperform almost everybody in your field. And you talk about the secret to finishing 
stuff in two hours, what takes other people five to eight. Is it this prioritization and, and the planning of the three lists or, or is there a, a, another step that people need to think about maybe on the mindset side or on the, the, the management side? What is, what is the actual secret to doing so without yeah, just being yeah. hyper-focused? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. And I think to the uh, shortest effective way of doing it has two steps. Uh, the first is an attitude of urgency. And John Cotter at Harvard, Harvard did a remarkable study where he analyzed the top performing US CEOs over a period of 10 years based on their stock price and all kinds of variables. And when he, had, he and his team had identified who the best performing CEOs were in America, he then went deep in analyzing what did they do that less successful CEOs uh, did not do. And the most surprising conclusion and the primary uh, conclusion and differentiator that he uh, discovered was that they all had an attitude of urgency. They just wanted to uh, emotionally get things done faster and demand that other people get things done faster. And if someone said, I have it to you in three weeks, they'd say, well, can I have it in, in one week? If someone said, well, look, maybe we could do that next year. He said, well, why don't we do it this year? And you, it, it is an emotional uh, weapon that you take on. I'm going to spend each day with an attitude of urgency. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you, you're, you're running around like a, a chicken with your head cut off. It may, that can be relaxed urgency, but urgency not, nonetheless. So the first component is an emotional com component. And then the second to getting a lot of stuff done quickly, I believe, is to, uh, to use a timer. So I'm a huge believer in Parkinson's law uh, and Northcote Parkinson came up with it many, many decades ago. And it is this, the work expands to fill the time allotted for it. Work expands to fill the time allotted for it. So if you want to do things quicker, instead of allowing yourself an hour, allow yourself half an hour and set a timer. Or instead of saying, I'm going to do that by Tuesday, you say, I'm going to do it by the end of today and I'm going to spend four hours on it and set four one hour time slots. And, and all of this so using a timer, on. which I, I just use the timer for my phone is, a, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's immensely valuable. No, it's a great tip. And, and, and this is all outlined in Simon's book, Win Fast coming out on the 25th of August, 2020. Uh, so anyone after that can go get that book. But a lot of people are probably saying, Simon, this makes a lot of sense, but I'm, I'm so busy, I'm so overwhelmed. Trying to create a new model is, I don't know where I'm gonna find the time for it. How did you work with your employees and the leaders of the businesses that you created over the years to train them to, to take this step back and to begin to implement a new system like what you're talking about? Well, I think the most important thing is is to, and, and, and this will have a pro profound impact on anyone's uh, success and productivity, is to make a switch in your brain that you're going to put productivity as the primary focus of your day. And when you do that, everything changes, because what's happening, if you look at someone who's unproductive, what they're doing is they're making the primary focus of their day whatever's urgent. 
or whatever is what they feel like doing. And, and so that's, that is what they're doing uh, day after day after day. And, and eventually they end up with a life where they don't achieve much. But if you literally get up in the morning and say, my aim, no matter what happens, is I'm going to be productive today. I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to structure my day uh, as best I can following laws of productivity, which are easy to, to study. That intention is 80% of it. The 20% is the actual techniques. Interesting. And, but when, when you think about productivity, because it, it's great that we, we can be more productive day in and day out. How do you relate that to your overall business goals or the, or the business or the goals of your organization? Because you can be more productive. How do you make sure you're staying on track to the, the goals of the organization and tie them together? Well, one of the things I'm a huge believer on uh, in, and it may seem a little extreme is, is reading or thinking through your goals three times a day. Where we lose uh, uh, progress is when we, a lot of people write goals and then they forget about them. So you, you set a, a goal for your, your goals for your organization and maybe you visit them, you know, once, once a quarter. But I can tell you, if you're reading your goals or thinking through your goals uh, three times a day, you are constantly uh, uh, made clear that you're either working on those goals right now or you're not. And so unless you keep them front and center, then in the organization, uh, your, your chances of being productive are, are really small. So that's one of the things that I demand as a, a, as a leader and when I coach other leaders is that they're super goal focused uh, throughout the day. And when they do that, often the actions that they need to take and the actions their staff need to take are very clear. And, and, and in your, your, your post marketing agency career. Now, now you have the opportunity to work with celebrities, centimillionaires, billionaires, all people that are already high achievers, highly successful. What differences do you see in them versus some other people or where you were when you get started? Mm, that's a, that's a fantastic question. Uh, well, let's deal with self-made, uh, hundred millionaires and um, as an example versus inheritance because it's very different. Um, look, I think, uh, first of all, they aim big. So they're, you know, they're not uh, aiming for a 5% improvement in, in, in their, in their revenue. They're aiming to dominate their industries. And I think that's, that's very, very important. And the interesting thing is it does not take more effort to aim big and, and neither does it take, particularly more work to achieve big. It just takes a, a mindset of, of thinking, thinking big. So, so number one, they do that. And, and then I think the other difference between those people that, that have grown really big businesses is their level of, of focus on, on the business and their level of desire to, to, to grow that business. So I, you know, I remember working with someone who's, well, he's probably worth about 600 million now. But when he had a small company, he said, Simon, no matter how much you think about my business, I'm thinking about it more. And, and I think that's a real difference is a lot of the, the, the great people are, are just, they have this tremendous desire uh, to build something great. Not, not, a, not a somewhat of a desire, a tremendous desire to do it. And then they are spending so much time 
thinking through it. You know, they're driving to the supermarket. They're thinking about their business. They're in the shower. They're thinking about the business. They're at the gym. They're thinking about the business. And I think that that is one of the way that, one of the separations between uh, the super achievers and, and people who just do mildly well. It's that tr strategic side of the, of the thinking, not thinking I've got to do X, Y, and Z. It's more thinking, how am I going to do X, Y, and Z? Is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so. What's it, what's a better way of doing X, Y, and Z and, uh, or who's someone brilliant who can, who can, uh, help me do X, X, Y, and Z. You know, the, a lot of these people are just very good at finding other people who, who help them out. That's great. We could, honestly, we could talk about this all day. It's so fascinating. I can't wait for the book to come out and, and read it and get, get more of these tips and, and ingrain them into to my business. And, and my clients' businesses. But as we wrap up, as a, a marketing uh, master, for, for lack of a better term, you build companies, you help companies, and, and you know what you're talking about. And in today's environment, what's working for you? How are you getting more of your clients? How are you getting your book promoted? How are you getting these super high achievers to reach out for you? What's working right now in, in 2020 in the midst of quarantine? Well, uh, you know, to, I guess one of the ways we get the book promoted, you know, with WinFast is, is, you know, wonderful people like you put it, put us on podcasts. So I believe that for anybody, a podcast is a tremendous, tremendous tool. You know, um, yes, we're promoting WinFast, uh, the book uh, today, but anybody listening could easily do their own podcasts or could get themselves on podcast interviews. And it's not only great while you're doing it it's great to send around to send through to your email list to send to potential customers so i'm a huge huge believer in that uh, but generally speaking i believe that the most important thing is uh, for marketing and, and i know adam you'll be a, a proponent of this is to build a large email list and be endlessly trying to add people who could potentially be customers onto that email list and then stay in touch with them, S help them, send them stuff that's valuable, uh, give your advice, prove that you really are deserving of their business, prove that you really are an authority on, on your subject. Building an email list, you know, everybody's wanting to do f fancy Facebook ads and Google ads, etc. But still today, there is nothing better than a email list that's growing and that is uh, the, the author of it or the creator of it is, is regularly sending out useful stuff because most people are persuaded to buy something over time, not immediately. And so it comes down to that kind of email relationship marketing. I love it. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much for the knowledge. I really appreciate you being here, Simon. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Adam. I, I, I appreciate it too. You're very welcome. And thanks everyone for, for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.